Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast, presented by Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill. Get 15% off your online order with the promo code HEELS15. Go to jerseymikes.com slash order now. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast. John Siegler here with Taylor Viplis and EJ Wilson for our weekly Ask Taylor and EJ show. Guys, before we get into the questions, though, let's talk very briefly about the win against Pittsburgh last Saturday. We all three said that it was a pretty much a must-win game for the season, and the Heels responded. It wasn't the prettiest of wins, but, you know, whether it's by one point or 25 points, they all count in the end. So, you know, Taylor, let's let's get your thoughts first, and then EJ, we'll get yours after that. Yeah, especially in, in conference play, you'll take a win any way you could get it. I thought Nathan Elliott played a pretty good game, um, significantly better than those first two weeks. Now, Carolina really didn't ask him to do anything crazy, but he played within himself. He didn't turn the ball over. And then um, I think this was the first game you saw receivers kind of step up outside of Anthony Ratliff-Williams. Deami Brown caught a touchdown. Daz Newsom had over 100 yards. So it was a really good group effort from the offense, especially the offensive line. They created a lot of holes for Antonio Williams. Michael Carter coming back from his injury. That was a huge boost to the offense. So it was a really good game for the offense. I think the defense still has um, a lot of work to do uh, since we saw them have that pretty good game in, against California. And I think that should help when you get guys like Aaron Crawford and Miles Dorn back. So I think the offense, this was by far their best game. The defense still has to improve uh, pretty significantly, but you'll take a win anyway. You can get it. Yeah, EJ, what what did you see about the defense? Because in the first half, it was pretty terrible. But you know, in the second half, they seemed to turn it around a little bit. Yeah, I, I definitely think that that was a good sign. The fact that they rallied up and they rallied around what the uh, the production that their offense was giving them. And they actually came out and they had a good uh, second half. And I just think if they can kind of build upon what they did in the second half, as far as rushing the passer, uh, being, we definitely could have did a way better job uh, against the run. So I would definitely want to see uh, them emphasize the run more, try to uh, – be better prepared to stop the run. But uh, other than that, I really was impressed by what they did in the second half, how they were able to turn the uh, game around. And I'm definitely loving what I saw on offense from uh, my man, Nathan Elliott, uh, as well as Antonio Williams. And we even had Newsom come through first 100 yard game of his career. And uh, hopefully that'll be the first of many. Yeah. And you know, you hit it on it right there where Carolina was able to get some momentum in the, in the second half of that game on defense. And then Really, the offense was clicking the whole game, like you said, Taylor. So there's a few questions that deal with this. Let's go ahead and jump into them, where in terms of the players being ready for Miami, let's start with this one, guys. So the the question that we had was, given that it's a Thursday night game, do you think that it's going to have the team feeling excited, or do you think that that could actually hurt them in terms of of game week prep? And then also, does the fact that the game starts at 8 o'clock do you think that that would affect the players at all, given that UNC tends to play at noon for a lot of their games? You know, EJ, let's go ahead and start with you and get your thoughts on those two things. I don't think it'll be an issue that they're playing on Thursday night. I think that, I mean, it's the same preparation. Uh, you don't get that off day uh, like you would hope to get. But I still think that they're going to be ready to play. I mean, Miami is a team that, I mean, yeah, they're ranked high, but I still think that they're a beatable opponent. So I think that the guys are going to come out prepared, and I think they're going to be ready to go, especially after, I mean, technically they're, they're undefeated in the conference. So, I mean, why not continue that win streak? And I think this will be the perfect statement win to kind of shut some of us up and other fans that are saying that this, that, that, 
they've kind of lost all hope for this season. So I think that this can be a, a really big game for them. Um, of course, you know, back in 2004, we upset Miami when they were ranked high, and I think that uh, it's about time for that to happen again. So I'm excited to see uh, how they follow up that performance on uh, from, from Saturday. But like uh, me and Taylor both said, that defense will have to improve for them to uh, be able to stick with uh, the Hurricanes. Actually, Taylor, before we get your response, EJ, let me ask you this. You were part of the Thursday night game in Blacksburg, right, when the Heels pulled off that big-time upset? Yeah, talk about it every day. (laughs) So, you know, what was the mentality of the team going into that game? Because, it's you know, I don't think Virginia Tech was favored as much over that Heels team as Miami is over Carolina. I think the last spread I saw was it's up to 18 points. So, you know, what was the mentality of the team going into that game, and do you think, that could also help out this year's team uh, tomorrow. Well, I think our situation was a bit unique because a black uh, Virginia Tech was, or during that time, they were said to be unbeatable with Thursday night at home. So our whole we we just wanted to go in and be spoilers. So I think that they can uh, kind of apply that to this Thursday's game too. Miami came into the season highly touted. Uh, they were one of the teams they were talking about playing for ACC championship or winning an ACC championship. So I think that they should go uh, into this game with the with the spoiler mindset to kind of ruin that for them and also uh, to propel themselves uh, into finishing the, uh, the the last part of this. Well, I won't say the last part, the middle and last part of this season strong, because I mean, with that, that win against Pitt, we kind of solidified, well, we solidified a win finally, but I think that, I think the guys are going to see a little little glimmer of hope and knowing that, hey, we can go out and we can play with these teams in our conference. So I think if they go in with a spoiler mindset, the mindset that, hey, it's about what we do. We can't worry about Miami. We can't worry about the atmosphere and the fans will be there if they go and they play discipline sound ball uh, and and just focus on being spoilers. I think that they'll have a good show on Thursday. All right, Taylor. Now let's get your thoughts because you were on campus when the Heels had that infamous Zero Dark Thursday game. So talk with us about, you know, kind of what the team's mentality was going into that and how you think playing on Thursday will affect them overall. Yeah, overall playing on Thursday, I don't think will affect the team that much because most of the time during the regular season, the bulk of the work is going in on Tuesday and Wednesday. And then Thursday's kind of fine-tuning any uh any last adjustments then friday you're just having a walkthrough so you still have on a short week on when the game's on thursday you still have the bulk of the days on now monday and tuesday wednesday is kind of still a day where they can fine-tune it and it's also a travel day and then once you get to florida um once you get to miami you could go through your walkthrough so i don't think the team's going to feel unprepared um they still have the same amount of time um, to get everything installed and fine-tuned. And then playing a night game, it's just a huge added bonus. Um, nighttime, ESPN, on the road, a ranked team, there's a ton of factors for these guys to get excited and show up. And kind of like EJ was saying, you have this chance to play spoiler, and everybody's talking about Miami. There's outside of you know your parents and the coaches – Nobody is giving you a chance in this game. So you really don't have too much to lose. And you could kind of just go out there, have fun with your teammates. And then that's kind of the mindset we took in that Zero Dark Thursday, where we also had the black jerseys too, which kind of amplified our uh, excitement. So I don't think these guys will have any, they don't need any more excuses to uh, get up for this game. And I think they're going to come out swinging. 
All right, guys. So let's move on to the next one then. And this one asked, what were your memories from playing in Coral Gables? Which actually I think Miami is playing in a different stadium now, but overall, um, what was your memories from playing down in Miami? What's the experience like there? And then do you think that the front-running rep for Miami is justified? What's your guys' thoughts on those two things? Taylor, let's start with you, buddy. My memory is playing in Coral Gables. Um, They're not like – I only have one memory because I didn't travel the year we lost in Miami, but I traveled with the team when they won in 2016. Their fans are really passionate, the ones that are at the game, and you're really far away from downtown and you're far away from the campus. But they do have like a really good tailgating scene. They're right on – they're right on the premises. And we were coming – into the stadium and on the team buses and you just see people tailgating and they stop once they see the buses and they're all lining up. And there was like little kids on their dad's shoulders looking at the buses and everybody's giving us the middle fingers, you know, the old people, the, the, the dads, the kids on the shoulders. So it was a really hostile crowd while they're, they play in the NFL stadium where the dolphins play. So it's, it wasn't packed and, I think it really hurts them being off campus, but the fans that are, are there, it gets really loud and it's, it is, it's not a tough place to play, but I could see how once they start getting momentum, the fans there, they start feeding off it and building off that momentum and it can get pretty loud. And I think that front running rep is justifiable. Uh, People are always talking about the U always picking them to win the ACC coastal um, and up until whenever Mark Rick got there, they always kind of failed up to those expectations. And they're a team that seems like they're always getting talked about, but they're never winning the big game and kind of getting over the hump. All right, EJ, what about you, man? What do you remember against the Hurricanes? I remember John Beeson, flip, John Beeson flipping Ryan Taylor in the orange bowl. <laughs> That's probably, honestly, seriously, my fondest memory. Uh, so I did get a chance to play in both the uh, old orange bowl as well as uh, Dolphin Stadium. Uh, unfortunately, it was baseball season when we played them. But uh, I agree with Taylor. They really don't have much of a home field advantage. Uh, neither of those games was there a full, their full crowd there. So I definitely don't think that the crowd maybe it'll be different because it's a Thursday night game a prime time game but the crowd really doesn't didn't affect the game uh either time that I played there now as far as Miami being front runners I definitely 100% agree with that because they come in the game and I especially while when we were there that's one of the big things that uh, coach Davis talked about he said even there was still some of that there even when he was there because everybody relies on the they say oh we're the you we're the you and they're kind of relying on the, the glory days of the 80s so the guys come out there and they're hyped and they're talking a bunch of trash but once you hit them in the mouth you don't hear any of that anymore and I think that not only is in games, but I think that's really a telltale sign of how their seasons go. Yeah, they, they, they come out and they're very highly tied at their pick to win the Coastal, all these nice things, and then they come out and somebody hits them in the mouth and it kind of derails their season. So I, w- I definitely agree with their front runners, and I, I don't think that they have a home a home field advantage. I kind of treated it like another home game when we went to play them because uh, the, the, our parents and, and all our support staff was there, and uh, you I, I saw just as much Carolina blue as I did Miami colors there, so um, I don't think they have a home field advantage, and I do very strongly agree with the fact that they're front runners. 
All right, guys, before we continue on, let's talk about food, everyone's favorite subject, and specifically about Jersey Mike's. So all fall, Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill has partnered with the Inside Carolina podcast to offer a great deal for our listeners. Right now, you can use the code HEELS15 to get 15% off of your order. This is an online promotion only, so you go to jerseymikes.com backslash order. It'll show the locations nearest to you. You click order, pick your favorite sub, and at checkout, enter HEELS15 and get 15% off of your whole order. Nothing beats a Jersey Mike sub for a quick and delicious lunch or a tailgating option before the big game. You get to skip the line, head straight to the register, grab your food, and you're on your way. In my opinion, Jersey Mike's is a superior sub option. They are tasty, delicious, and it always hits the spot. So do it today. Place an online order at one of the four Chapel Hill and Hillsborough locations. It's a super easy process. Just remember the code HEELS15. The three locations in Chapel Hill on Elliott Road, off of MLK at Falcon Bridge Shopping Center, and then the one in Hillsborough is off of exit 261. They're super convenient driving into Chapel Hill or if you're cruising by the town. Also, look for Jersey Mike's inside of Keenan Stadium with it and with the tailgate guys this fall. So support the IC podcast and get a discount of your Jersey Mike's order. It's a win-win. All right, guys. So, uh, EJ, you mentioned you know, playing against Miami. And at the time, you know, there was Butch Davis. And I think everyone listening to this podcast should know about the ties that Butch Davis had to Miami. And he was 3-1 and one against his former team. Now, do you think, was there anything different in the practices as you guys got closer to the Miami game? Like, was there any extra emphasis that you ever felt the coaching staff put on beating them? The emphasis didn't come from the coaching staff. It was kind of an attitude like win one for the Gipper. We know that that uh, Coach Davis uh, has a – he's very popular in that community uh, down in Miami. He used to coach him, of course. So we always wanted to prove like, hey, we're the better version of the college teams that you coach. So it was kind of more so like that that jealous sibling thing. We're like, yeah, you had success in Miami, but we're going to have more success here. So we always had that extra added oomph and extra added intensity in practice because we know where we're going out and we're playing our coach's old team. And uh, we had a lot of – success against them um I would kind of say that we we did have their numbers so I, that really wasn't passed down from the coaching staff it's something that we amongst the team the captains and just the position groups we talked about like hey we want to go out here and we want to win this game we want to keep the streak going for coach Davis so it definitely uh was something amongst the players that we took pride in and then Taylor what about coach Fedora because he's actually had a pretty good results against Miami I think Miami got UNC's number in a blowout a year or two ago but, uh, you know, apart from that, and especially last season, UNC's actually hung right there with Miami, even if there has been a little bit of a talent discrepancy between the two. So, you know, kind of similar question. How does Coach Fedora and the staff approach the game against the Hurricanes? There's nothing different from Coach Fedora's perspective. Um, when, you, when you're playing Miami, it's no different than when you play NC State, no different than when you play Duke, no different than... You know, when you play Virginia, he wants the team at 100% every game. You know, he doesn't want you thinking you have to do something above and beyond. And I think that's good for games like Miami where you're not trying to do too much. But I also think that's not good for games with these like in-state schools. And I think that's one of the reasons why some of these in-state schools are doing a little better against Carolina is because Carolina is kind of treating this like every other game where Coach Fuente is like training his players to hate Carolina. So, and then I also think Carolina has had success against um, Miami because they do recruit a lot of guys out of Florida. A lot of these guys 
maybe they feel like Miami should have recruited them or Miami just overlooked them completely, never offered them a scholarship. And part of it, that like going home aspect and showing this school why you could have played for them or maybe why you didn't choose them. You wanted to get away, but everybody around you growing up was a Miami fan and you want, you want to play for those people right now. So this was always a game that was circled for all the Florida boys on our team. Uh, guys like Andre Smith, um, KJ sales. I know takes a lot of pride being from Florida. So I would look out for the Florida boys in this game. And then talking about Florida and, you know, you guys tell me if you can sense a theme here amongst the questions that were being asked. But the next one is, have you guys ever had as much junk talk as was spewed in a game against Miami? Uh, The person that uh, asked that question brought up that Matt Bosher, their punter kicker, used to talk uh, a lot of smack to even the support staff before the before the heels took the field. So, you know, Taylor, let's get your thoughts. Does anyone come close to running their mouths off as much as the Miami players do? Nobody talks more than Miami. And I think that goes back to EJ, where what EJ was saying, where that these guys kind of feel entitled, that these guys feel like they're the you, you know, those bad boys from the 90s when they have not proved anything close to that kind of status. And it was always bad in the Miami game. Anytime they're coming to the sideline, they're chirping us, we're chirping back. And then it kind of just, you have to just raise your performance and tune out the other team so they can't get in your head. And it even got to the point where in 2016 and when we went down to Miami, um, even though I didn't um, dress out with a team, that everybody goes through the same tunnel for halftime and at the end of the games and the support staffs had to kind of hold one team back and let the other team get through the tunnel because I guess when they had previously come down, there was an incident in one of the tunnels between the two teams, which is kind of different from Keenan stadium where one team goes on the North side and one team goes on the South side. So yeah, it was always bad with Miami and got to the point where the teams kind of had to always be separated. Let's hear something specific. Come on, give us a, a little bit of juicy details. Uh, I don't know if I could go into <laughs> too juicy details, but it's a lot, it's a lot. It gets personal. <laughs> All right. I'll take it. Now, EJ, uh, you, you've got a little bit more of the seniority on Taylor here. So, you know, don't feel afraid to, uh, to hold back, man. Let's, let's hear about how much trash the, those Miami players would talk and uh, give us, you know, at least one story for the fans. It it was absolutely terrible. I mean, they just talked and talked and talked, and it got to the point where, like, we kind of expected it. We just look at them like, dude, why are you talking so much? Especially by the time it got to my senior year, like, we beat them two years in a row. And I'll never forget the offensive lineman. I think think it was Orlando Franklin. I I don't remember who it was. So we're beating them. We go to shake hands after the game. He's he's yelling. His coaches have to hold him back. Oh, it doesn't matter. Uh, You guys beat us, but you guys still go to UNC. It was like – like, dude, what are you saying? Like, we own you guys. We're ranked higher than you guys. So a lot of the stuff was really just kind of garbage. Um, of course, the offensive the offensive players didn't talk as much trash uh, as probably the defensive uh, team and the special teamers did. But that's probably the worst I've heard. I honestly think that that school in Raleigh, uh, the one, the school that wears red, I forget the name, they probably talk, they probably talk the most trash. Um, 
it was actually a situation where they talked so much trash to my uh, aunts and uncles that came to the game my senior year, but they never seen me play that the fans were just cursing and, and lipping at them so bad that they had to leave the game. So I would definitely say Miami talked some trash, but that school in Raleigh probably is probably the worst. All right, well, look, save those stories until we do get closer to the NC State game week because, yeah, we're we're definitely going to spend some time on that one, guys. Uh, But before we move on, let's talk about Heels Travel real quick. They are the best road trips for UNC away games, and their current offer is for the game in Charlottesville coming up later on in October. Now, there's no better way to get to the games than by using HeelsTravel.com. That Virginia game is a bus package. It's a one-day trip. It leaves from Chapel Hill and returns on the same day. It's a chance to go to a great college town when the leaves are changing. And in late October, Charlottesville, it's going to be a beautiful drive. So to get that package, you can go to HeelsTravel.com now or call 336-855-0060 to book. Additionally, Heels Travel is selling packages for two UNC basketball games in Las Vegas over Thanksgiving weekend. So that's two Tar Heel games. It's three nights total in Vegas. No travel headaches or concerns. It sounds pretty awesome to me. That package includes round-trip airfare from RDU, round-trip transportation from the airport to the hotel, and a three-night stay at the RA Resort and Casino. So visit HeelsTravel.com now or call 336-855-0060 to book. All right, guys, back to the questions here. So this is one where you guys each have one specific question. Now, if you guys want to chime in on, on the other one, that's absolutely fine. But here's how it was asked. So to Taylor, the question was, now that Chas Surratt is available, how do you think Fedora and the coaching staff will handle the QB situa- situation? Will they continue to roll with Elliott? Or would you think that it could be a split time? And then do you think Elliott's going to have to worry about getting yanked if he starts making some mistakes early against Miami? If I was the coachings, I would start Chasserat, but I don't think coming off a good game last last game, they would do that to Nathan Elliott. But I do think Nathan Elliott should be on a short leash just because this Miami game could get out of hand quickly. Um, with their attacking defense, and you don't really know how prepared Chaz Surratt has been um, during his suspension. I just think you know what you're going to get from Nathan Elliott, and he needs a lot of help from the from the other players on the offense. He basically played a perfect game last week against Pittsburgh, and it was still really close, and Pittsburgh dropped an easy interception before the end of the first half. Um, all his throws downfield were mainly uncontested. And I just think your ceiling as a team is significantly higher with Chaz Surratt, even though Surratt kind of struggled uh, midway through last year. But I don't think that was all on him. I think that was, you know, his confidence was shaken. His offensive line really wasn't giving him much of a chance. And then the injuries to uh, the receiver position. And I th- do think Nathan Elliott is it's going to be hard for him to not think about Chaz Surratt being back because all this time you heard that the reason why Cade Fortin and Jace Reuter weren't playing is because there wasn't somebody prepared behind him. But, you know, this is a guy who beat him out last year for um, the starting quarterback position, and he didn't go in until Surratt basically couldn't play anymore when he was getting hurt. So I do think Elliott's going to have to worry about Chaz, and I I hope it doesn't affect his play. Um, I think 
Nathan is a guy who he's going to put in the time necessary to make sure he's fully prepared for Miami. And then I think it's just going to be up to him to kind of tune out Chaz because Nathan is going to be prepared. He's going to know what to do. He just has to stay calm in the pocket, not force things and just play within himself. All right. And then EJ, your question has to do with the fact that Miami switched quarterbacks during their last game against uh, FIU. And it looks like they have two legit options at quarterback going into the game against the Tar Heels. And with a short turnaround, as a defensive player, how do you prepare for possibly facing multiple quarterbacks, especially considering that one of them is just a redshirt freshman who has very little film available on him? end of the day, our main matchup is going to be against the offensive lineman. So that's really what we have to uh, watch film on and pay attention to. And those are the keys that we're reading. So I think that if um, as far as from a defensive line standpoint, if they get caught up on who's playing quarterback, they're not going to be focused on the right things. I think uh, in the secondary and uh, on the linebackers, the outside linebackers, especially those who are going to be in coverage, I think it's a little bit more important to them uh, because there's there's different timing. uh, There's different levels of experience and there's different uh, ways that these individual quarterbacks who read the defense. So um, I, I think that they should still go about their preparation in the same way, whether it's a red shirt freshman or whether it's the experienced guy uh, behind center. I think that they still need to approach it the same way. Uh, they're not going to change the, the playbook. They may dumb it down a little bit for the uh, le- le- less experienced quarterback, but they're still going to be running the same plays that they've been running all year. It's still going to be the same offense. And outside of the quarterback, it's pretty much still going to be the same personnel. So I would say uh, what you see on the film is still, still going to tell the story of what the game is going to go like. Let me ask you guys kind of a follow-up question because, you know, Miami is a little bit of a similar situation to Carolina where their starting quarterback is a little little bit more to a little bit more of that pocket passer. So similar to what the heels have with Nathan Elliott, but the redshirt freshman is that more athletic, potentially dynamic type player who may not have the best throwing mechanics, but he does offer that additional, I guess, escapability and, you know, again, that is similar to what Chas Surratt potentially brings to, to the quarterback spot. So in both of your opinions, you know, EJ, from the defensive side, what is it? Do you have a preference between one or the other in terms of playing against the athletic quarterback or against that pocket passer? And does it really change, you know, too much what the defense does when you do have that difference of skill set? I think that, that that will completely change uh, what we do. So uh, just for example, uh, we, we prepared uh, for Tyrod Taylor in a different way than we prepared for other quarterbacks. So when, you, when you're rushing a quarterback like that, the most important thing is going to be lane integrity. You're going to make sure that your defensive ends have contained and you want to make sure that your defensive tackles are pushing the pocket back so we can't escape up the middle. So uh, that really does have a heavy influence on the game plan because, I mean, everyone has to be everyone really becomes a pass rusher. Everyone has to be conscious of where that quarterback is. So there's always, especially for a DB, it's always that thing in the back of your mind, like, yeah, I know I'm supposed to cover this guy, but I don't want to be the guy that that gets run by by the quarterback because I didn't see when he escaped the pocket. So it's really a tough situation. But um, from a defensive line standpoint, we gotta. It's more so of a must rush. So we're not necessarily trying to get upfield and and beat the tackle. We want to be in a good position that if they and compress that pocket. So just in case that quarterback does escape, we'll still have a chance to uh, either force 
a throwaway or, or get the sack or at least get a hit on him just so he doesn't burn us for 40 or 50 yards like some of these dual threat quarterbacks can. So um, I would definitely, definitely rather play against the pocket passer. And I think that most defensive players would as well. All right, then, Taylor, what about as far as catching passes go? You know, if you're out there running routes, is it a situation where if you know that you've got the pocket passer that you're going to get that ball within just a few seconds, or if you have someone who can scramble, how does that change up the wide receivers and how you're taught to potentially, you know, either run that scramble drill or come back towards the, the quarterback and things like that? Yeah, with a guy like Chaz Surratt, you're way more conscious that he can keep a play alive a lot longer. And then you just have to know where you are on the field. If you have um, a route that's supposed to go to a certain point, you really don't want to run into where other people are going. So you have to have a high football IQ and knowing where people are and kind of anticipating where other players are going to be. So once you kind of see that play breaking down, you have to have your head on a swivel and looking for space on the field while also looking at, say like a guy like Anthony Ratliff Williams, where is he going to go? Where, like, what are his tendencies for once a play starts breaking down? Is he a guy who's going to come back to the ball? Is he a guy who's going to try to drop back? But you definitely have to be more conscious of it with more of a runner, uh, a guy who could keep a play alive longer with his legs. All right. So let's go ahead and take one last commercial break. And when we get back, let's talk about Miami just a little bit more. And we are back with the Inside Carolina podcast. John Seeley here with Taylor Vipolis and EJ Wilson. So, guys, we've talked about how the Hurricanes are favored in this game. They have that talent advantage, and they are, in my opinion, going to be the most talented team that the Tar Heels are going to face this year, even including Virginia Tech that Carolina will play after this game. But we'll focus on them later on. So the Heels are at least two touchdown underdogs to Miami. If they're going to pull off the upset, Taylor, what must the Heels do against the Hurricanes? First, I think they have to establish a good running game with Antonio Williams. Um, I mentioned this in the video I did, but his past three halves of football, he's rushed for like over 200, and I think it was 210 yards, and it's basically coming out to like 9.5 yards per carry. So getting him started early, um, Blocking out wide is a huge, a huge thing. It's something that we really didn't see the first two games from the receivers and the tight ends. But a guy like Jake Vargas came in in Carl Tucker's absence and did a really good job. And then on the on the defensive side of the ball, you have to limit these like catastrophic plays that Miami couldn't pick up. And finally, I think you just have to uh, make sure they don't create any turnovers from uh, Miami's perspective. Because Miami is a team that they live off they live off their name, and a lot of times they don't bring the playing with them to the field. So they're a team that you could catch sleeping even even as a two two and a half touchdown underdog. So you don't want to give them any reason to kind of get up for the game and you know remind them that they are a top twenty team. So you kind of just have to protect the ball make the most of your possessions and limit the big plays. All right, EJ, if the heels do manage to win in Miami, what would they have done right? 
Well, the first thing they would do is go out and hit him in the mouth uh, from the beginning. And that's what I kind of alluded to earlier when I'm talking about them being front runners. I think if we go out and we play a physical brand of football and we kind of get a, a lead on them early, I think that they'll start to deflate. And the second thing is we have to protect the ball. We all know about these stories about this this turnover chain or whatever they have going on down in Miami. I just think if we take care of the ball, we don't give them any momentum. We don't give them any, we don't give them anything to piggyback on and kind of give that team a boost, kind of uh, like what Taylor said. I think that we'll, I think that we'll be okay. Of course, we have to play substantially better on um, on defense, and we have to play even better than we played against Pitt on offense on Saturday. So, I mean, like you said, I, I do think this will be the most talented team they faced. Uh, it's going to be a lot of team speed. Uh, it's going to be a lot of athletic players out there. But hey. Our guys have scholarships too, and uh, they've earned the right to be on the field with these guys. So if we uh, come out and, and play, start have a fast start, play physical, protect the ball, and try to create some other turnovers and create any momentum we can to kind of steal the the gas, t- take the win out of their sails as well as the crowd, then I think that we have a chance to win. Let's wrap the podcast up with some just real quick predictions, EJ. Since you were the last one, let's go ahead and get your thoughts. I'm gonna say we're gonna win because I, I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna doubt us anymore. I'm not gonna doubt the fact that we can go down and and beat a, a quality team. Uh, from what I saw Saturday, I know that we're capable of doing that. I know Pitt's not Miami, but I still think that they're gonna ride the momentum of the uh, of the Pitt game, and I think that we'll win by a field goal. I like it. All right, Taylor, what about you, man? I'm not that positive. I'm going 35-17 Miami, um, but. Taro fans should feel better. I haven't gotten one game prediction right. So maybe me picking Miami is a good thing. That's all right, man. Um, I'm going to stick with my preseason prediction. I said Carolina would win. I'm going to stick with it, EJ. I'm with you. I think it will be by a field goal, 27-24. I mean, hey, crazier things have happened. ODU just beat Virginia Tech as like 27-point underdogs. So it can happen. And that will go ahead and wrap us up for this edition of the Inside Carolina podcast. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening to the Inside Carolina podcast, presented by Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill. Get 15% off your online order with the promo code HEELS15. Go to jerseymikes.com slash order now.